0: Welcome to Love Handle, an occasional podcast series dedicated to Handle's life and music, presented by me, Tati Theo. Handel's Trio Sonatas. What's not to like? I realise this is something of a niche subject, but bear with me. I'm going to give a little background information about the Baroque composer, George Frederick Handel, who lived from 1685 to 1759. You just heard a little of the Allegro from Handel's Trio Sonata, Opus 5 Number 2 in D Major by way of an introduction to these wonderful pieces. I'll come back to it later and finish the podcast with the performance of the whole Joyous movement. If you're already familiar with Handel's name, you'll probably associate it with the oratorio, the Messiah, and particularly the Hallelujah Chorus, one of Handel's most famous pieces of music. Handel was mostly famous for his oratorios, which have biblical texts set to music. These were hugely popular in his lifetime and still remain so. Just Google Crystal Palace Handel Festival to get an idea of how embedded these sacred pieces were in the British musical psyche right into the 20th century. Handel was also celebrated for composing opera using texts in Italian which was very fashionable in London in the first half of the 18th century even though few people in the audience understood the language. But for me there's something very intimate and special about the music Handel wrote for smaller chamber forces. As the word chamber implies this was music designed to be played at home in people's music rooms and rarely in grand settings. Naturally a composer must start somewhere when learning his craft and it is with chamber music that we first start to see Handel experimenting and flexing his compositional muscles. No records survive which indicate how quickly Handel could compose this small-scale chamber music but we do know that as an established and celebrated composer he was known for his speedy work. The Messiah for example which is scored for soloists, choir and orchestra and takes around two hours to perform was composed in just 21 days. Handel was known for his use of the musical technique of reheating. You'll know this as a cooking term, but in the 18th century, it was applied to music and referred to the common practice of reusing musical material. Why let a good tune go to waste when you could use it more than once? This would certainly have sped up the compositional process with Handel reusing good tunes, often in a different key or played by different instruments. This is something we'll find time and time again in all Handel's compositions, but particularly in his trio sonatas, although sadly there aren't that many of these. Handel only put his name to two sets, opus 2 and opus 5, plus a handful of trio sonatas that didn't have an opus number. These pieces span a period of roughly 35 years and several different European countries. They take us from a youthful Handel in Germany to a man at the height of his fame and success in London around 1739. By the way, the word opus simply means work in Latin and was commonly used by composers as a way of cataloguing their compositions. As someone who adores playing chamber music, especially anything by Handel, I generally feel a bit cheated that there aren't more of his wonderful trio sonatas. I've recorded them all with my band, The Brook Street Band, and put up a few on a Spotify playlist to go with this podcast so you can hear some of this wonderful music for yourself. Just search for The Brook Street Band and locate the handle Trio Sonatas playlist. Before looking at some of these pieces, it's worth explaining that despite the name of the piece implying three musicians, they would generally have been performed by four musicians. The word trio refers to the three musical parts two treble and one bass. But the bass part is generally played by two people using a harmonic instrument such as a harpsichord, capable of playing chords and providing the harmony, and a melodic bowed bass instrument which would have been a cello in Handel's time. With Handel's trio sonatas, it's not simply a case of starting at the beginning and working our way through. There's no clear timeline over the 35 years that the sonatas span, and apart from one piece, I'm not sure you'll hear a huge change in his musical style. What you will notice, though, is Handel tapping into different musical fashions at different points in his life. Opus 2 reflects the fashion for Italian-styled trio sonatas in four contrasted movements, as do the trio sonatas without an opus number. Later, Opus 5 reflects the fashion for including dance movements, such as minuets and bourées. Everyone knew the steps to these popular dances, dancing being a hugely popular activity in the Baroque world. I hope I've set the scene and whetted your appetite and you're now ready to learn a little more about Handel's trio sonatas. Let's start with his earliest one, which he composed in 1699, when he was just 14, living in Halle in Saxony. Handel's love of music was perhaps considered to be a mixed blessing by his family. His father had plans for Handel to study law, but music was clearly where Handel's heart lay. Allegedly, Handel had to resort to music practice on a clavichord, a particularly quiet type of keyboard instrument, in the attic of his home once the household was asleep. Handel also spent time in the Marienkirche just a stone's throw from his house where he studied with the composer Zachau, who was 20 years his senior. Records survive of some of the music in the church's collection, So we know the sorts of music Handel studied, which helped him learn his craft and ultimately find his own musical voice. As well as music by German composers, Handel had access to music by Italian composers, too. Germany at that time had many immigrant musicians from France and Italy, so their musical voices were certainly known in Germany, even away from the big cities. This early trio sonata, later titled Opus 2 Number 2, is charming, although unsurprisingly lacks the sophistication and emotional intensity of later works. Handel was only 14 after all. If you want to listen to it, it's on the accompanying Spotify playlist. There is then a jump of a few years to around 1707 before Handel turns his attention to the trio sonata again, probably when he's living in Italy. Then we must wait another 10 years for more trio sonatas. By this time Handel is living in England, starting to become known as an opera composer. I'll talk about the final batch of trio sonatas, which were published in 1739 later on, although they mostly contain music from earlier years. So it seems from 1699 onwards, Handel experimented with lots of different types of music, chamber music, opera and religious music, to name a few. And kept the smaller scale pieces to one side, waiting for the right moment to share them. It isn't until around 1730, when six of these pieces first find their way into print, as it happens in Amsterdam. We can hear that the six published trio sonatas have all been influenced by Handel's time in Italy from 1707 to 1710, and the fashion for Italian influenced music, as they follow the popular Da Chiesa, church model. The sonatas have four movements alternating slow and fast. The sonatas were never intended to be played in church. The description is left over from the 17th century, when there was a clearer distinction between works that could be played in church, for example, during parts of the church service, and works that certainly couldn't be played in church, such as pieces incorporating dance movements. By the 18th century and Handel's trio sonatas opus two, dachiesa can simply be taken to mean sonatas without titled dance movements. Now, how easy was it to get hold of music at the time so you could play these wonderful pieces for yourself? If you lived in Amsterdam, you could buy the set of six trio sonatas published by Roger and described as opus two from around 1730. If you lived in London, you could acquire pretty much the same set with a few corrections, but published by a different publisher, and these were available from 1733. Both sets are likely to have come from the same publisher, John Walsh, who operated from premises just off London's famous street, The Strand. Walsh had been Handel's regular publisher since 1711, but Walsh also occasionally collaborated with Roger in Amsterdam, hence the confusion over the publication history. By the beginning of the 1730s, Handel was a much-loved and popular musical figure in London. He was championed by the royal family and had had a further seal of royal approval by composing the four coronation anthems for George II's coronation in 1727. To this day, one of them, Zadok the Priest, is still performed at royal coronations and has been ever since 1727. The likely reason for this double publication of the trio sonatas is purely money. The 1733 set was advertised as being corrected, thus tempting people to buy again, perhaps, and to keep Handel in the public eye when his public profile was already high. The title page makes it clear that the scoring for these pieces is flexible. They are sonatas or trios for two violins, flutes or hoboys with a thorough bass for the harpsichord or violoncello. This was a publishing convention designed to maximise sales rather than Handel's actual specification for these instruments. Hoboys in this case refer to oboes. We see the same thing with the next published set, Opus 2, sorry Opus 5, which appeared in 1739. These appear as seven sonatas or trios for two violins or German flutes and a bass. These are not Italian-styled Dachiesa church sonatas and four movements, but a set of more loosely assembled dance suites. The fact that 13 of Handel's trio sonatas were easily available in print by the end of the 1730s in London is no coincidence and shows shrewd marketing by Handel and his publisher. This was a way of bringing Handel to his core audience in a small scale domestic setting so most people could enjoy a little bit of his wonderful music. The Opus 5 set has virtually no new music, instead drawing on musical compositions dating back as far as 20 years previous. If you know your Handel, you'll recognise music from the Shandos anthems, which were composed by 1718, the 1733 Oratorio Athaliah, as well as several Handel operas from the 1720s and 1730s, plus a few miscellaneous pieces. Now, I've talked about 13 trio sonatas being available in print, but there are in fact more, The reason they weren't all known in Handel's lifetime is that some weren't published until after his death, in some cases not until many years later. Copies of the pieces in Handel's own handwriting, known as an autograph manuscript, don't survive for all the trio sonatas which over the years has added somewhat to the mystery. For now I'm going to leave things here and not go through each trio sonata individually. I've talked a fair amount about the historical background to these pieces and not so much about why I like them. That's a tricky thing to talk about, as any response to music is deeply personal. I've known many of these pieces for many, many years, and I feel deeply connected to them. They have become a part of who I am. They're comforting, reassuring, sometimes challenging, and however well I know them, I always hear something new and different in them when I listen to them, or even better, play them. These pieces seem to achieve the impossible. Forget time travel and the TARDIS, Handel has bridged the gap between his world and ours, connecting me and thousands of other Handelians, and, in my opinion, improving our contemporary world. Handel is a genius when it comes to expressing different emotions and moods through music, and this intimate, small-scale music leaves nowhere to hide. For me, it is honest, not dressed up for occasions of state and ceremony. It is raw and simple and with a powerful effect, be it entertainment, distraction, solace, or comfort that you seek. If you want to find out more about Handel and his music, do get in touch with me and the Brook Street Band. We're on all the usual social media channels and would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. This Love Handel podcast is part of a wider digital project, the Brook Street Band at Home, which has been made possible thanks to funding from Arts Council England and the National Lottery and its players. Do keep a lookout for more content over the coming months. You'll be able to find it all on the Brook Street Band's website, www.brookstreetband.co.uk.